Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back into another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Alpstead, sitting down with Keith Myers. Good afternoon, Keith. It's Thursday. Welcome into the show. Yeah, it's Thursday afternoon. It's nice out. Yeah, there's football to talk about. Um, yeah, it's gonna yeah. be a gonna be a a fun weekend of of championship games. Yeah, that'll be crazy. Oh, Nowhere near the the match I think that we had last weekend, since there's only two games. Um, well, last, last weekend was, was such epic. An epic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, and so this this uh, this weekend will be will be fun and interesting. Um, who do you got in the NFC? Um, two two familiar foes, the Rams. Definitely wow. got the Rams. Yeah. Um, I mean. They I mean, are, that makes complete sense on paper, right? They're the better, more talented team, but the whole Shanahan over McVay angle, it makes that game way closer than it should be. I really just love the idea of the Bengals being in the AFC championship game. And that's, you know, is and, and my question is, is that enough for them to just being there? Or do they really want to like go and try to get this game? I think I Joe know. Burrow has them convinced. That they've got a shot, you know. He yeah. just seems like one of those quarterbacks that's like going to make his team show up no matter what. Yeah, and, and and the thing is that team is young, it's hungry, um, it's talented. Like they they can go out and and win this. Um, I mean, they already beat uh, the Chiefs earlier in the year, but it was when the Chiefs were um, struggling fumbling a bit. Fumbling but, around. Yep. But I mean, they can, and and a lot of that starts up, you know, with their quarterback. But I still think that they're in a position this offseason to continue to upgrade that roster and come back next year as a massive force. Um, they have exceeded expectations this year because I still thought they were building and, and a year away. But um, they could definitely, you know, pull off that, get the win, and honestly, they're capable of beating any of the teams that are that are still in this so um i just, know it's not right? a oh well sure yeah they get into the super bowl but then they're you know not gonna stay i would i would there. say no just thinking out loud here that if cincinnati gets into the super bowl which seems unlikely but you know what it's playoff football if they get in i i look at their matchup against either one of the nfc west teams the rams or the 49ers and i'm thinking you know that's going to be a darn good entertaining football game no matter which opponent it is and um it'll, it'll just be fun i think it's good for the game i like joe burrow i like your idea your thought process of being a year away it seems like that's the way it is but he's got them playing on a completely different level right now even from yeah. like six weeks ago it's it's he's got that like winner mentality and, and just certain guys have it you know you can just see it and he's got it whatever that intangible thing is as a leader and he's got them believing already and i i'm here for it that's that's pretty awesome um today keith we came in we kind of scheduled this uh show to kind of be at the end of the week 
So thinking that maybe we would have some coaching news possibly to talk about with the Seattle Seahawks after uh, Ken Norton Jr. was let go 10 days ago now, Keith, 10 days. You know, I was looking at the calendar from the previous year when we made the coaching change at offensive coordinator, and that uh, that was 14 days from the time that Brian Schottenheimer was fired um, to the to the time that our new offensive coordinator was hired. So we're right in that window now where things start to change. And I thought today, this morning, woke, waking up and hearing about a few uh, head coaching changes happening, some hires uh, today. So that process is now starting. And it seems like those things kind of go hand in hand a little bit when, when head coach is starting to come off the board, defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, that movement really starts to happen as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I kind of thought this would be, you know, that spot, but I think what, one of the things is that you've got good, um, defensive coordinators that are currently under contract, um, because, you know, if they're under contract from, you know, a multi-year deal, they, they can't move laterally. And so if they're waiting for a head coach to be, to be hired, so that way, you know, in order for them to get let go so they could go get another job. Uh, Cause that happens, right? Cause then it gives the, the, the incoming head coach a chance to come in, interview the, 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 the guys that are currently on staff decide if they want to keep any of them um, before replacing them. So you end, they end up in this limbo while, while they wait for uh, positions to be filled. And so it takes a little longer and uh, you know, especially this year where you, we just had um, our eighth, uh, or was it our ninth coach, you know, coaching vacancy with, um, right. With, uh, you know, the saints job opening up. So it's an, it's an interesting, uh, year. And honestly, I think they wait, they take their time and, and they see what happens. And now a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs. And that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TPPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So uh, speaking of, Nathaniel Hackett over at the Green Bay Packers previously, um, mm-hmm. offensive coordinator there signed up with the Denver Broncos to be their head coach. Um, you know, he was in the process, I think last year of being evaluated for head coaching positions, had his first interviews and so forth last year, this year that he was deemed ready to go. Broncos got their guy there. 
um, I think their first choice because I think he was ready to interview as well with the Panthers um, if he didn't take this job. And so they kind of jumped on him there. The Bears signed Matt Eberfluss, former defensive coordinator for the Colts. Uh, that's an interesting hire. I'm not hearing a lot of positive or negative things out of the Bears camp on this particular one. Do you have any opinion at all on, on well, those two hires? Um, you know, with 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 Eberflus, I he wasn't a guy whose name was coming up. Um, but when he he the the Colts defense wasn't good before they got him. They and they've been you know the strength of that team since they did. So I think there's there's some stuff going on there and, and uh, you know, the, everyone loved their GM hire and the GM hire was the the guy that wanted um, Eberflus. So yeah, because Dan uh, Cohen you know, was in the building for a long time, like over uh -huh. a couple of days and three different things. And um, yeah. And I thought for sure, like I tweeted, not tweeted, but I texted you this morning that I thought that was a done deal. And well, yeah, anytime it, you, it, it, it was not, you bring someone back for their third, uh, interview. Um, that you figure they're just means, talking about money. Yeah. And I think that's what, it, what it ended or up coaches being. or whatever it was. Yeah. He's a, he's a guy who has, um, head coaching experience. He took a team to the super bowl. Uh, he's asking for more money. He's asking guy, for eight, eight or $10 million. And a guy like Eberfluss is probably looking at four or three, um, or maybe two and a half. Um, and so, and, and that's might be it is that basically they, I don't know, understand that thinking, honestly, because you, you, you look at the situation, you've got a, a new up and coming quarterback, you've got a team and a roster that a lot of people feel that wasn't too many parts away from being somewhat in contention mm -hmm. and you go out and you, and you do something like this, it really frustrates the fan base, you know, and you, just to, like, uh, you point to Seattle as an alternative you know when seattle was in their coaching hunt and pete carroll wasn't even we weren't even thinking about a change and that the you know ownership went out and made that change and that hire and then have continued to invest in the head coach over a long period of time and a lot of times that's the difference you know you yeah. look at the same thing with belichick uh the same thing there in mike Kansas tomlin City. mike tomlin andy Reid in kansas city right Sean, so you're paying these guys in, there's in no salary cap on yeah. on these guys so you know that really kind of points directly to the philosophy of the ownership of the team yeah. there as being one of the primary problems that they may have in the future i'm not saying it's a complete problem we're saying that matt's not going to win there i'm just saying they've chosen on purpose not to invest in it probably a more qualified coach see i wouldn't have um i wouldn't have hired either of those guys in in chicago um not that they aren't good hedge coaching would you have like done an offensive offensive but, mind for the but for their quarterback yeah because if you've got justin fields and you want to turn him into a um you know an elite quarterback you go get an offensive mind you go get someone nathaniel from, hackett yeah <laughs> actually steal, that, steal a guy directly from your own conference your own yeah division. i mean yeah, I mean that's actually who that that would have been a great one, or someone from the Mike Shanahan coaching staff. Uh, go get your your offensive mind, your your guy that can develop the quarterback, uh, because you bring in a defensive coach like either the two guys the Bears were interested in, and they're gonna have they're gonna be like okay, but this will work. But I'm gonna go get my offensive coordinator, you know, 
whatever. And so you kind of they invest in that. But if the if the offense does well and the the team the, the whole situation does well, then that offensive coordinator that 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 um, the defensive head coach brought in gets a head coaching job in a year or two, and you end up running different coordinators in around your young developing quarterback. And that's never a system that you that you want. You want stability for your yeah. young developing. Well, it's it's worked with other situations and other systems it's it but you bring up a unique challenge if you're going to start from scratch it does it would be easier to to marry those up from Mm -hmm. the very beginning all right um a couple other teams and names miami is rumored to be the front runner for brian uh, deball and then jacksonville brian leftwich you're you talked to me right before we push record that that may not go down and they may be switching directions here. Um, yeah, what as I was of recording, he-, he was he was reportedly kind of the, the front runner there. Well, yeah, I mean, they want him, um, but he doesn't want to coach for Trent Bulky. And so, um, what I was hearing on the way home, uh, today was that he's like, Yeah, sure, I'll come coach for you, but you're gonna have to find a new uh general manager because. Yeah, that's a hard, I, that's a hard I, one for a team to do. I saw what Trent Bulky did in San Francisco, and that was take a really good team and tear it apart mm. and turn it into a mess. Uh, and he's like, and I'm not going to sign up for that. So, yeah, and he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. I mean, Trent Trent Bulky was terrible there, and and um, you know, had influence on getting you know, creating the mess that's there that's in Jacksonville now. Like I don't get why he would be hired at all um, in a, in a decision-making position given his track record, but you know, there it is. But if you're a guy like Byron Leffrich, you're young, you've had a lot of success. You're like, if it doesn't come around uh, this coaching cycle, it'll come around next year. So I'm not taking a job and going and working for a guy that's, that's, not going to be able to put talent on the field and then i will get blamed for the terrible roster that i was forced to coach like you know what i mean like so he's just like i don't need this so on the seahawks front since ken norton was let go andre curtis passing game coordinator was let go nothing's really happened we heard initially four names almost within a day or so of each other being mentioned as guys that this team had either sought permission to interview or had been linked to um i'm just going to go through those again and i want to see if your opinion has kind of focused on one or two of these defensive line coach clint hurt is still there also up for the dc position at the university of miami under mario cristobal um they may mm-hmm. be waiting for his decision there to for cristobal to kind of have it go that way but it sounds like he's changing um one way or another this year uh ed donatel at denver um, now that Nathaniel Hackett is in there, that makes Ed Donatel a guy that can be on the move. And yep. um, he's rumored also to be part of that uh, Jacksonville equation as uh, for head coach, as well uh-huh. as being linked to Pete Carroll as a D- DC. Uh, Dallas secondary coach Joe Witt Jr., uh, passing game coordinator, defensive backs coach was... Uh, requested to be interviewed and did interview for this position with the Seattle Seahawks. But now that Dan Quinn is out of the equation for Chicago and a few other teams, uh, Dan has announced that he is going back to being the defensive coordinator for the Dallas 
Cowboys, which possibly means probable, possibly that Joe Witt would go back. Although he would probably take a promotion if it was going to be for a defensive yeah. coordinator job. I think he Seattle. would take a promotion. I think he was, um, if Quinn left, he was the guy that w- likely was going to take over um, at, as defensive coordinator. So he was looking at becoming a DC any like no matter what. And so I think if, if Quinn goes back, he's going to move on in order to get a defensive coordinator job. All right. So, and then, and then possibly Gus Bradley, we don't know about the Raiders job yet, um, but he may or may not be available out there. So out of those names, Oh, and I'm, did I, I didn't mention uh, Sean Desai, uh, the Bears defensive coordinator, who's got a heck of a resume. If you're, yeah, into, if you're into like big college, big school, uh, doctorates and thesis and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> He's your man. Um, but how do you feel about it? Honestly, of all the names that are there, um, Gus Bradley is the most interesting one to me. Because he, Inch, he was, that is wild. Really? Yeah. He was here in Seattle, did a great job. Um, you know, was so remind of, folks, remind folks that are, haven't been with the, with the team okay, prior so, to seven years ago. Yeah, so he was hired um, to be defensive uh, coordinator by uh, Jim Mora Jr. Um, in that one Jim Mora year when, yeah, that was terrible. Um, right after, yeah. He's a guy who is in the Monty Kiffin um, coaching tree. In fact, it was Monty Kiffin who called Pete Carroll and said, hey, I, you're heading there. Give this guy an interview before uh, you make a decision about your defensive coordinator. Um, and Pete Carroll did, and Pete Carroll decided to keep him on. And he was kind of the the architect of moving Red Bryant to uh, defensive end and some of the other things that happened early in the Pete Carroll tenure on defense that led to, you know, uh, that defense just turning the around. The Legion of Boom, et cetera. Yeah. Um, he was a big part of that. Then he got hired as the head coach in uh, Jacksonville, and decided that Blake Bortles was his quarterback and that was a mistake. And so he ended up never really getting that program turned around in Jacksonville. But uh, as a defensive coordinator, he was good. And then when he, he moved on from, from there, he first went to um, the chargers and instantly improved their defense. Then when they got a new coaching staff, you have a good memory. Yeah. um, He instantly, or when they, when they got a new coaching staff, he ended up moving on, ended up with the Raiders and was a big part of um, the Raiders success this year, especially after the Gruden fiasco mid year. Mm-hmm. So um, great coach knows Pete Carroll knows the system, but also has been away from Pete Carroll in the system and done other things, seen other things, and is going to bring new ideas back to the system in the same way that Dan Quinn left Seattle as when he was a defensive line coach, went to the University of Miami as a defensive coordinator before coming back to Seattle. It gave him an opportunity to see some things um, from a different point of view, from a different coaching philosophy and and bring more back with him. And I think that it's a, a situation that would be really nice uh, for the Seahawks. They get the veteran leadership. They get the a guy that knows what they want to do, but also all the new ideas and stuff that they're looking for. Now, see, this is exactly why somebody needs to subscribe to this show for that right there, <laughs> that history lesson. I'd totally forgotten all about the San Diego gig for him. I just, I had, I just, there was this hole of where was, um, 
where was Gus Bradley for a while? And I just figured he popped up here at this latest job and um, hadn't really been paying attention to his career. But um, yeah, interesting. So he's done well for himself. He that has. Would be, that would be interesting. I mean, I don't, I'm unfamiliar with who's on the radar for the, the Raiders. Gus Bradley would be a good guy to, that you would want to keep on that. Especially staff. if you're hiring an offensive coach. Uh, yes. You know, if you're you're bringing in, I, I still think Harbaugh's the um, the best option for the Raiders. He would be perfect. And there. that's been the that's um, been the kind of the, the the coach that's been linked all along. Yep. So if Harbaugh goes there, I mean he he is a guy that um, is an offensive mind, and, and, and it would be a defense that he is familiar with, yeah. as you know they run. Yeah, he kind of so, developed they they developed that same defense before Harbaugh Harbaugh left, right? Am I no, am I correct at San San Francisco? That's not that's not true. Um, Seattle they went to that defense when you're right. You're right. Um, when they brought in Shanahan and um, and company there. That that's when they made the shift from Harbaugh uh, Harbaugh's defense into uh, running in the Seattle system. So so okay. So and what's your? I'm just curious of what your opinion of the Bears' defensive coordinator Sean Desai is. Just oh, because I've heard a whole bunch of stuff about him that it was just fantastic. Young guy, up and coming, part of the Donatel mm-hmm. um, tree. What was the other tree that you mentioned that Monty Kiffin? Isn't it the same Monty sort of Kiffin. thing? Monty Kiffin, yeah. It, yeah. it is. It's, they're just lower rungs on the same tree or, or higher rungs, if you want to put it that way. If, if, so Pete Carroll if, is really fairly intimately has knowledge about this guy. Obviously, he's on. He, the, he was on the short list. He is on the, the Pete Carroll comes from the Monty Kiffin tree. Um, and uh, these other guys also, I mean, they, they came off, off the tree, uh, you know, branched off later, but uh, there are, I don't know if, if our listeners know just how big Monty Kiffin ha- is in NFL circles as a defensive coordinator and innovator um, in the same way that uh uh bill parcells and um you know the mike homerian you know those coaching trees are off. yeah uh, well belichick is part of the bill parcells um coaching tree but you know what i mean like as big as bill parcells and 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 is as far as on the offensive side of things um monty kiffin is on the defensive side of things he was never as far to my I don't, my memory he was never a head coach but he was the elite defensive coordinator that developed younger coaches into great defensive coordinators um, and was the architect of the Tampa two and um, you know, all of the very, very variants of that and uh, is generally regarded as perhaps the best defensive coordinator ever. Um, And so, yeah, I mean that, like I said, Pete Carroll comes from that, from that coaching tree. He, he, coach defensive backs under Monty Kiffin when Monty Kiffin was a defensive coordinator. So um, that fact that the guys that Seahawks are interviewing and are linked to that they're from the Monty Kiffin tree should not be surprising. Yeah. And, and so there's variances though, between like three fours and four threes and Pete runs some sort of a hybrid in between. I understand that um, Sean Desai ran a three, four, Mm-hmm. in chicago this last season explain also, a little bit about how those fronts are different 
and why they why they would be different under the same sort of tree and and on the back end too maybe go into explaining the difference between a single high safety you know a two high safety look yeah. and it covers three and all that stuff so because of the way the Seahawks run now the Seahawks hybrid system has shifted away from uh being a soup like just major hybrid or that it was early on and, and it's gone a little more generic um more in more recent seasons but when Pete Carroll first came in right I mean you got a 340 pound uh defensive tackle moved outside to play defensive end at the five tech um and then you've got a super undersized guy in Chris uh Clemens rushing off the edge at the Leo um what that essentially is is a is a three four front but with uh, one of the outside linebackers has their hand on the ground um, and everything's kind of just shifted a little bit. Uh, but it it really runs in that same way. The difference um, between what they were doing and what um, you see by the 3-4 defenses now is that only Mebane and, and Red Bryant in Seattle system were asked to two-gap, which means basically you stack the, um, you know, whoever's blocking you, you stack them up, um, keep them square, and then you read the running back. And if he goes to your right, you shed um, the block and, and and step into that hole. And if he runs to your left, you do it the other direction. And you're in charge of both gaps. Um, the Seahawks had two guys that they trusted to two gap, um, and everyone else had a single gap assignment. Now, in a traditional three four, all three of your defensive linemen two gap. Um, and in Seattle, it was just two. The three tech didn't. Um, and in uh, and and more recently, they've gone completely away from, uh, you know, two gapping at all. And they've also gone away from the 330 pound defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, credit Michael Bennett for decide you know getting the Seahawks to to get away from that and um, ad- adapt to a more you know conventional defensive end system. Um, I think what we could see is it the six going to a, a situation where they do more um of that weirdness and they move people around and they get do we have the uh, personnel to do that i think we kind of do i mean you look at all of the uh five techs that they've got on the roster with with collier yeah. and and you have to make they, a decision on green for sure yeah. yeah if they bring green back i mean you've got oversized defensive ends that can come up and do it you know you've got daryl um, taylor yeah daryl taylor's pretty big those guys but they can also play that outside linebacker um, and, and and rush rush upfield. I think what they're missing is linebackers. They're gonna you you need more bodies because what you've got is you're currently on the roster would be you know your two interior um, linebackers with Wagner and 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 Brooks and you might be able to use Cody Barton on the weak side, um, the non the non overly aggressive pass rushing side uh, of the three four. But you need that. You know, you need that guy, and then and mm-hmm. you just they they don't have any depth. And and uh, one thing that I like about the three four is simply the fact that you have more linebackers on your roster and less defensive linemen, which means you have more guys that can play special teams and more because speed. The, yeah, the last thing, the last thing you want is um, three hundred and thirty pound defensive tackles playing special teams and lumbering down the field. That <laughs> while entertaining is not good football. Um, okay, so you also ask about the back end, so. The Seahawks have played under Pete Carroll cover three, which means you split the field into thirds. Uh, you have the um, safety in the middle and you have the two cornerbacks on the outside. Um, and 
as long as the cornerbacks stay deep and don't get beat deep, um, it works fairly well because you got three guys back there. You split the field into thirds and you um, play everything underneath. Yeah. And when it worked at its best, you had Earl Thomas back there. So the cornerbacks could be aggressive um, and know that right. if, if something bad happened to them, uh, you've got the fastest safety in the NFL um, back there uh, covering a lot of ground and saying that he only has to cover a third of the field is a joke because he's got the speed to cover almost sideline to sideline. Um, and it works. Uh, what, you know, if you go to more of a cover two, which is a lot of the different names that, uh, that Pete Carroll's being uh, linked to this offseason it involves having two deep safeties. And so you, then you split the field in half instead of thirds. So, so you're asking um, you, your safeties to cover a little more ground, but you're also not asking your cornerbacks to stay deep. You have your cornerbacks come up and they actually have outside the numbers in the flat, like that's their zone area. And so um, it creates a couple of, of different places where there's, there's holes. I mean, there's holes in any, um, in any zone scheme. Uh, the big one is right down the middle because you've got to get right. If, if your safeties are both widening to cover those outsides, you got a big hole in the middle and you need a middle linebacker who can really run mm -hmm. to get back and get deep. Cause they're the ones that end up responsible for that um, for the middle of the field and, and to stop those. Um, yeah. And your corners need to be direction. good, good tackling corners and your, you know, yeah. your linebackers need to be pretty athletic because you're, you're usually mm -hmm. taking what your strong safety off the field when you're playing a, a too high look. Yeah. You're, you, you don't, you don't typically run a, a what we would consider a traditional strong safety. You don't run a cam chancellor style guy out there uh, who's up near the line of scrimmage and doing stuff. You want two guys that can play the deep part, really cover a lot of ground, cover well, um, all of that. And you want corners that are physical that can jam mm -hmm. guys at the line of scrimmage. Um, that tackle really well uh, because they're up at the line of scrimmage. They're not running away, uh, you know, running down the field uh, with wide receivers anymore. So there's a lot of, of different things that, ha that you need um, that are different than what Seattle has been acquiring. Yes. Uh, but in order for Seattle's defense to work well, you've got to have Earl Thomas back there and they don't. I know. I mean, Quandre Diggs has, has been great. He's been a pro bowler. But you can you could see that the defense doesn't work as well with him, even playing at a Pro Bowl level, as it did with Earl Thomas. Yeah, who was, we're oh, we're doing uh -oh. a uh, we're doing another show for another for another show, <laughs> and um, we're talking about defensive backs coming mm -hmm. coming up, and um, yeah, doing an, I, another show for another show. Yeah, yeah, Our, doing another show for another show, mm -hmm. and it's on defensive backs and. Um, and so I was looking for safeties that would fit in Seattle's scheme. And um, there are a few. In fact, uh, yeah, there, it's a pretty deep, um, it's a pretty deep year to, to, to have a corner or safety need and have it filled mm -hmm. in the draft through probably rounds four or five. Like yeah. it's, you're going to get a player that's going to be able to help three, you. Three, four and five, I think are pretty deep rounds in there. You've got to be careful. Um, because to, just to fall in love with a with a, t a tester at the combine that just going to let your socks off 
just because a, a free safety has a lot of speed doesn't make them Earl Thomas, right? We've seen that, mm-hmm. right? Um, Tedrick Thompson mm-hmm. he was an absolute freaking disaster. Yeah. Well, we safety. have we kind of have one on our roster, and I don't like to disparage guys that are currently on our roster, but we have a guy that's on our was on our practice squad, used to play for the Vegas Raiders, and then. Um, is hung around our practice squad and just got a futures deal. Tanner Muse was a guy that was just coveted coming out of college. He had a great little college career. He was just one of those names that, and then the Raiders moved him to, to linebacker. Now, I don't know if that's his natural position because, you know, or if he intends to move back to some sort of a strong safety position, but he is, he was always a guy that I thought would have been a great safety in the NFL because he had the speed, he had the, tackling ability he could cover guys and it just didn't work out for him i don't know if it land, he landed in the wrong spot or whatever but you're right like for me i think that the big thing is the tape you know with with these guys and the and the um the, the college guys how does it translate you know mm-hmm. and, and some of that stuff you just immediately see it's really hard to um to project college uh defensive backs for seattle right now because we don't know what system they're going to run that's very that's true because the what you need if you're playing cover three is very different than what you need if you're playing cover two um and that is we, yeah. we kind of have to wait and see well you know with the single high stuff you, you that's the guy i mean he's got to be super athletic super fast uh, mm-hmm. you know a sure tackler all that kind of stuff kind of the quarterback the break the smart guy that knows the defense and everyone else's you know responsibilities and stuff with a second guy or a tandem you know you it, it seems like you could maybe find that guy a little bit later in the in the draft and for it's that true. single head guy you want that guy the, the primo guy that's going to be like in the first or top of the second round yeah uh i mean uh earl thomas was picked in the top 10 so um or where was it like 12 or he, he was he was up there i know he was the second the second first round pick that year. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in a cover two, what you, what you need, or like a the, hybrid guy might even work. Yeah. But the guy the, that can play both strong and free safety that kind of moves around a, a lot. Maybe a guy like Jamal Adams, for yeah, example, maybe might he's, be he's, the second. he's, he is not he's, a guy he's that way better want. up at the line of scrimmage. There's no, he's doubt. not a guy you want deep. I was thinking, um, if you have a, if you're going to run a cover two, the lynch, you were talking about, if you run a cover three, the linchpin is the, um, is the uh, free, free safety. If you want to cover two, the linchpin's in your middle linebacker. Yeah, because they have to drop back and cover the middle of the field. Yeah, they got to get back. They got to cover a lot of ground in the middle of the field. And so let me have, ask you and this. also being a tackling machine up against the run. I know. So Bobby Wagner is awesome three years ago for that yeah. spot. But what did you, what will you do now going into Jordan the future? Brooks. I would go, I would put, I would, if you're going to switch to a cover two, you stick Jordan Brooks in that role and you just do, you just, he's that guy. He's got the speed to do it. He's got the athleticism to do it. Um, he's going to be that guy. That doesn't mean you, you, you don't keep Bobby Wagner around. You let him be your weak side linebacker and have, wow. um, and have a zone. God, um, I and, just and, have I have my doubts that this exact conversation is going on with Pete Carroll and 
and company trying to make a defensive coordinator decision. Maybe it is about moving Bobby, Bobby Wagner around or obviously the restructure ideas that we've been talking about or like release or some sort of little trade or whatever. Lots of options, but your idea, no matter what, would be to keep him and just transition him to another spot. Well, if you're moving to a cover two style, right? If you're moving to that being your one, you Wagner is a, an amazing player and he's super smart and he's a great leader and all those things, but he doesn't have the speed he used to. Mm-hmm. Now he wins um, with smarts and and that kind of stuff. And you need a guy who can cover the ground that Bobby Wagner used to be able to cover. And that that's Jordan Brooks. Um, yeah. And and so that that's what I would do is I, I'd move him over to, you know, one of the other linebacker spots where he's got a chance to, he's got a zone that's in between that, that giant middle of the field that the middle linebacker is going to go and the flat um, where the cornerbacks have. Right? I do trust flat, Jordan that would be a Brooks place. a heck of a lot more today than I did in September. Yeah. You know, I think that he can do that job. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be as good as Bobby Wagner was three or four years ago in Bobby's prime prime? He's okay. probably not quite at that level, right? Because nobody is, but nobody he's is. got the same sort of speed Bobby, and instincts. Bobby Wagner's what what a seven a seven time all pro. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Comparing right. anyone to Bobby Wagner in their prime is so unfair. I think that your Nobody's your idea though of moving Jordan Brooks in the middle and having Bobby Wagner still on the defense but on the outside is interesting. I think that's an interesting idea but, but that would make that transition really be smooth for Jordan Brooks because that's a lot to put on his plate. And if, and if uh, Wagner's gone, not only have you become the leader of the defense, your assignments have completely changed this year. Yeah. So that's a lot to, to expect for that third year guy. But think about the current Bobby Wagner, not the, the Bobby Wagner in his prime who was, yeah, Bobby Wagner came in. Well, Bobby Wagner came into the league with like four, four, six speed, right? Four four six four four seven. It was like four four two. It was like freaking elite for a linebacker. So that's yeah, that's that's off the chain. So yeah, and now I would say he's probably four six five ish. Yeah, maybe. And but uh, his instincts, right? Mm-hmm. His instincts are second to none. So, so that makes current, up for take the current half of Bobby Wagner. Loss. Take the current Bobby Wagner, not like I said, not in his prime, but the current one, and put him in the KJ Wright role of last year. KJ Wright was never fast. He was never fast, but he was always effective. Yes. His length that, and his instincts really and his tackling ability. Bobby Wagner's career. Absolutely, it could. But and you like take Bobby Wagner years. and you put him in that KJ Wright role at the weak side linebacker and just let him be himself. Right. We're, we're, find me the downside to this. Well, there's two. One is uh, with Bobby Wagner. Uh, take a role outside of middle linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks or any other team. And then um, two, then you're starting to talk about a different pay level for Bobby Wagner that needs to be commensurate with the expectations on the field. Yes and no, because while you're when you think oh will he take a i mean job short that's short not term you could linebacker. pay a guy one year to be bobby wagner on your team you could live with that and maybe that's all yeah. they're thinking but 
if, if you're going to give him a three-year deal and you're going to pay him $17 million, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, you're not. But you're not going to pay him $17 million a year. Uh, you're going to pay him $12 million a year and he's probably still overpaying him for that role. But you got Jordan Brooks on a rookie deal. So your your combined salary for both of the guys is still less than you were paying um, Bobby Wagner and KJ right at the height of their, um, you know, tandem. So you're still paying less and you just kind of, when it's time to pay Jordan Brooks. And by the time you get the fifth year option on Jordan Brooks, you're probably done with Bobby. Yeah. Bobby's probably um, hanging him up at that point. So uh, I, I just think that you can make it work. I like that combination. I like keeping that's Bobby Wagner yeah, in that's town. That's the first time I've heard you talk about that idea. I think that's a, that's pretty pretty interesting. Well, it's because we've been I've been thinking a lot about what this team looks like if they have to play a three four, uh, not a three well not a three four, but also a cover two. If you got if you're going to go to a cover two um, instead of a, a a cover three, like you've got to have that middle linebacker who can really cover ground, and they've got that, and it isn't Bobby Wagner anymore. It's Jordan Brooks. I mean the proto the prototypical cover two middle linebacker was Brian Erlacher. You remember him in Chicago? Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, and he could just run. I mean, he had absolute elite speed. And and, and instincts. Yeah. The same, to none. Right. the same way that Bobby Wagner did. Yeah. And I think that when when Wagner was younger, if they had played him in that role, right? It wouldn't he it wouldn't have slowed down his ability to win all pro um right. you know awards. It would back to might have made it easier on him to win all pro awards. Um but he was fantastic in any role. And I, I just think that in you look at that, that's if that's the prototype, who's closer to that prototype right now? It's not Wagner, it's Brooks. That's why I think he's the guy Fun. you've got it. You've got a Fun conversation. Role. Fun conversation to get the new defensive coordinator in the same room with Bobby and Jordan and have that conversation and see what happens. Yeah. Because, you know, Bobby may want to not move. He may say that I, you know, I'm still the guy. I'm still if, the guy. If he leaves Seattle and goes to another team, that team is not going to stick him in the middle just because he's Bobby Wagner. They're going to look at what can he do right now and go, where do we put him? I, I, where, I where do almost, we put him at best? Yeah, I almost virtually guarantee that Bobby Wagner would have that conversation and choose a team that's going to keep him where he feels comfortable. He's not going to be going to a team at their whim is going to move him around the defense or bring him off the bench or whatever and still pay him. I mean, Bobby Wagner wants to play and he's going to play at a high level. And, Mm-hmm. I would say that he wouldn't go to a team that was going to going to move him. I don't think so. And maybe yeah. that makes a difference in Seattle where they're asking him to take a little pay cut and restructure and move to a new position. And that conversation gets kind of screwy when you're talking about egos and stuff. And I don't know True. Bobby's ego, but the per other se, thing, but the other thing that you could do in that is, Hey, look, you're, not paying we're not paying you 20 million dollars to play this year so you can go play somewhere else for whatever you get on the market or you can play for us for 12 and we're going to move you to weak side linebacker and we're going to extend your career by three years yeah that's an interesting conversation 
we're going to give you three more years as a player that you wouldn't have if you stayed in the middle. All right. I'd like to have that conversation again. Uh, yeah. Um, around the time we talk about Bobby Wagner's free agency, situ- you know, the trades, markets, and all that stuff here in another couple weeks. Because that conversation could make this defense better without having to move, you know, without having to acquire a player. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm, I'm curious about that. Just makes it makes the defense better. And especially if you can get Wagner to sign a two year extension at a much lower cap number, you made the defense better without acquiring. That would new, be, that would be a magician that, move by and, Schneider. And you gain cap space. Yeah. And, and this is why they need to hire you, Keith. You've just you know, figured out that you've saved them money. You've made them better. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a Super Bowl move right there. Hey, you, um, you know what, John? If you're interested, <laughs> email me. If you're listening, uh, uh, I'm I'm all ears. So feel free. So to- we, you know, no. <laughs> this is this is the kind of conversation. This is the kind of direction that the show takes mm-hmm. when we go into the show with literally no notes and we have nothing to talk about. And we just yeah. push record. This is what what we get. So. This is what happens. I know because we want we scheduled. We were they're going to have something. We're going to know who the at least the last two or three candidates. Um, and we're going to have everything narrowed down for the defensive coordinator job. And it's not decided at all. Yeah, so, no movement whatsoever in ten days is kind of unique in the NFL. And, it's uh, it's unexpected, but yeah. you know what? We're we're here. So <laughs> we'll try it again next week. We will. Okay. So follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawk's Playbook. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of this stuff. You can find us on your favorite pa- uh, podcast platform. And I'm not kidding, your favorite, like any of them. Um, yep. And then a YouTube channel. Subscribe. So that's it. So until next time. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Phil is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.